0: Former radical David Horowitz says the left is undermining the war on terror. We'll ask which presidential candidate would be worse for the country. And what does Hillary Clinton's Pennsylvania win mean for Democrats? Also, family breakdowns, divorce, and out-of-wedlock parenting cost the nation plenty. We'll discuss some solutions. This is Jerry Johnson live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and Culture.
1: Mr. Gorbachev... Tear down this wall. That's one
2: small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream.
3: It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes.
0: president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson.
5: Staying Alive. Hillary Clinton is singing that song today. She won Pennsylvania yesterday. Her campaign still has some kind of a chance at her victory celebration in Philadelphia. Senator Clinton said she's resilient, she's a fighter, despite the odds.
3: I might stumble and I might get knocked down, but as long as you'll stand with me, I will always get right back up.
6: Well, Dr. Johnson, this reminds us of what she said a few weeks ago in Philly.
3: Let me tell you something. When it comes to finishing the fight, Rocky and I have a lot in common.
6: Well, she's back up, but uh,
5: for how long? That's the question. Well, she wants to fight Obama or a fight in the campaign, uh, and she wants to fight McCain. And Obama and Clinton, though, do not want to fight the terrorist, I think, according to our next guest, David Horowitz. He is president of the David Horowitz Freedom Center in Los Angeles, a well-known conservative author, a convert from radicalism. I've been on this show before. David, welcome back to Jerry Johnson Live. Thank you, Jerry. David, you've written this book Party of Defeat, how Democrats and Radicals undermined America's war on terror before and after 9-11. Tell us about that theme.
7: Well, look, uh, the first president to call for the violent removal of Saddam Hussein was Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton's national security team, his secretaries of defense and state and the head of the CIA all supported the war in Iraq. The majority of Democratic senators uh, supported the war in Iraq, and they turned against it within three months of our troops getting there and, uh, and liberating Baghdad. Uh, never in American history. Uh, has a uh, a major party turned against a war that we were fighting with our young men and women in harm's way uh, in the early stages of the war. And they did worse than that, because they accused Bush uh, of, uh, to explain why they supported the war, they accused Bush of deceiving them, of lying to them. And that's the biggest lie of the war, because every Democratic senator had the National Intelligence Estimates, a 100-page summary report of all of our intelligence on Iraq. And, of course, since we live in a democracy, the opposition party gets to see all our secrets. John Kerry sits on the Senate committee. It's the Congress that runs the CIA, ultimately. They have a legal authority. And John Kerry had access to every secret that Bush had. So the Democrats lied that Bush lied, lied that we were (laughs) deceived. And the point of their lies was uh, that America's the aggressor, that Iraq was no threat, uh, that we, mani- the, we were manipulated into fighting a war we didn't have to. That says America's the aggressive, America's the bad guy in the war. And yeah. that is, uh, that's what the enemy propaganda is set up to do, to destroy the moral basis of the of the cause. So, so it will sap our soldiers' will to fight. Uh, Democrats have sabotaged the war on, uh, in Iraq and the war on terror generally for the last five years, and they need to be held to account for that.
5: All right, folks, everybody's talking about the Democrat uh, fight for the nomination. You've got Clinton, you've got Obama, you've got Clinton winning yesterday in Pennsylvania. Uh, but the question really is this. Are the Democrats the party of defeat when it comes to national security? Um, David, let me ask you this question. How do you rank Senator Clinton's dressing down of General Petraeus um, in front of the committee?
7: Well, it's another uh, turnaround for her, because when General Petraeus was appointed and confirmed, she said, he is my general. This is exactly the general we need for the job. Uh, And she just turned on him for uh, political reasons. I mean, it's why people have such a low estimate of politicians, but... When they're Democratic politicians, they, because of their constituencies, because of the history of that party since George McGovern, um, they are primed for surrender and defeat. It is the party of uh, appeasement and, and defeat.
6: We're talking with David Horowitz. His new book is Party of Defeat. And uh, one of the candidates uh, for the presidency from that party is Barack Obama. This is what he said earlier in the campaign, uh, talking about how he thinks the U.S. should leave Iraq and go look for the enemy elsewhere.
4: The first step must be to get off the wrong battlefield in Iraq and take the fight to the terrorists in Afghanistan and Pakistan.
6: David, uh, which of these two candidates uh, more epitomizes the party of defeat in your well, mind?
7: I mean, I think they, they, uh, Barack Obama is going to be the most left-wing candidate ever <laughs> nominated by hmm. a major political party. And what he just said shows that he doesn't understand what the war on terror is about at all. Uh, and he's probably, I guess, unaware that Osama bin Laden and Zawahiri, the head of al-Qaeda, have said that Iraq is the central front on the war and the war on terror. What does he expect them to go home if if the United States leaves? Um, they want to make Baghdad the new caliphate, which is the uh, would be the the Vatican of their Islamic empire. Um, you know, it's mind boggling what's going on in the Democratic Party, how irresponsible it is, uh, and how dangerous it is uh, for the rest of us that they think this way.
5: David, some people think, all right, we're picking on exceptions here, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama. What do you make of Jimmy Carter last week uh, yes. going to negotiate with Hamas, and the next day uh, they send more explosive in, uh, explosives into Israel? You know, de- Democrats, um,
7: they whine that, you know, well, you're questioning my patriotism. Well, of course one is. Here's a, here is a former president who is told by the Elected administration not to go uh, to talk to Hamas, a genocidal terrorist organization that has uh, in mind to wipe out not only Israel, but Christianity as well. Um, And Jimmy Carter goes and says they want peace when they're firing rockets into schoolyards in Israel when there's not a single Israeli soldier uh, in Gaza, which is where Hamas is based. Uh, Jimmy Carter has crossed the line. I mean, I I do question his patriotism. Mm -hmm. I think he thinks that he's uh, somehow a citizen of the world now and that America is the uh, evil empire um, that he needs to uh, stand up to so he can uh, uh, can get moral credibility or something like that. He's playing to the wrong constituency these days.
5: Our guest is David Horowitz. He's written the book party of defeat, how Democrats and radicals undermine America's war on terror before and after 9-11. Let me ask you this, David. Whether it's Clinton or Obama, uh, it's going to be a clear contrast with John McCain. How do you see this debate developing out in the fall? Well, you
7: know, we've got to see what John, if John McCain is willing to you know, take the bull by the horns here. Um, he's just uh, dissociated himself from an ad... Um, attacking Reverend Wright, uh, which I think is ridiculous. Mm. Reverend Reverend Wright showed himself (laughs) to be a Jew-hating, America-hating, racist, anti-white racist kook. And uh, Barack Obama couldn't uh, find it, you know, in his uh, kind of moral sort of uh, scale to uh, dissociate himself from Wright and said, in fact, I can't do that because that would be to dissociate myself from black people. Can you imagine wow. a white politician saying that uh, if he dissociated himself from David Duke, it would be dissociating himself from white people? It just, it, it would never happen. But we have this double standard uh, for black politicians and white politicians these days, and that's got to end. And of course, if the Democrats get in, it's not going to end. Uh, you know, looking at this, I mean, I kind of wish I was a preacher now because of if I had to look for a divine providence um, uh, entering into human affairs, this Democratic primary would be it. Uh, are these people not getting their own just desserts? I mean, they're calling each other racist. They're calling each other sexist. And they're locked into a losing situation uh, by those very facts. You, you have to just love it. I, I love it with... Bill Clinton whining, they're playing the race card. <laughs> yeah,
6: it's <laughs> fun. Yet. David, you uh, understand the left because you used to be one of them. So can you just very quickly answer the question, why are they doing this? Why do they align themselves with the Islamofascists? Okay, there
7: are the opportunists in the Democratic Party who, who want us to lose the war in Iraq because if, if we win, then Republicans will be elected. So
6: it's all political.
7: So that's political but there is a, a powerful left I've written a book called Unholy Alliance um, the left is very much like the Islamicists uh, they believe um, that well, first of all they believe that America is a great Satan both, both leftists that's why Osama bin Laden can kind of crib from Michael Moore's movies when he's writing his, <laughs> his uh, fatwas um, the enemy of my enemy is my friend that's, that's their basic attitude. But they're also, the left, as i pointed out many times, is a crypto-religion. Um, that is, these are people who believe in a redemption, but, but not through a savior, not through a divinity, but a redemption through politics, mm. through themselves. It's a form of idolatry. Mm. Um, and, of course, this is not original with me to see this this way, but I know it in my bones as somebody who was on the left. Um,
5: And And I've got to recommend, uh, you wrote a book years ago called The Destructive Generation, didn't you? Yes, sir. And that was a great book. I want to encourage people to go back and read that book. It changed forever the way I think about the left. David, we're out of time, but you've written this book, Party of Defeat, How Democrats and Radicals Undermine America's War on Terror. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. All right, folks. Let's go to Barack Obama real quick, because he says, all right, here's the number one job of the president.
4: My job as commander-in-chief will be to keep you safe. That will be my number one task.
5: All right, that is the number one task. Mm -hmm. And this show is about the Christian worldview, and I want to verify what Barack Obama says from Romans 13. It says, the governing authority is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is God's minister, an avenger, to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So, in theory, Obama has it right. The number one function of God-ordained government is to protect us from those who would do evil and to, yield, to wield deadly force, if necessary, the sword. He does not bear the sword of death in vain, in theory. But in fact, Obama is uh, waffling when it comes to the war on terror, the Islamofascist war on the West, on our way of life. Obama is weak. Hillary Clinton is weak. Are they fit? For this number one task, Obama says, and according to the Bible, and according to the U.S. Constitution, the primary function of federal government is to protect human life, to protect those rights that we see in the Declaration of Independence. Penna, what's coming up next?
6: Well, we're going to continue to talk about the presidential race. In fact, you can call in and answer that question. Are they fit uh, for that job of protecting us according to the Constitution? The number's is 800-881-9270. We'll take your calls next on Jerry Johnson Live.
0: College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1 800 899 0012 or on the web go to chriswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter.
3: Senator Obama and I have crisscrossed this state meeting people up close, being judged side by side, making our best case. You listened, and today you chose.
6: Welcome back to Jerry Johnson Live. I'm Penny Dexter. I'll be your host for the rest of the program. And, of course, that was Hillary Clinton. Her win in Pennsylvania temporarily silenced uh, the cries for her to leave the presidential race. But I guess the question is, could she possibly gain the nomination? And has Barack Obama been wounded by his recent mistakes that we have discussed? And are these fatal weaknesses coming to light? We are taking your calls on that. And also, are the Democrat candidates ready to be the national security protectors in this country? The number is 800 Eight eight one nine two seven zero. One more story before we begin taking your calls. And uh, this is a story about the top American commander in Iraq, General David Petraeus. He's been tapped for a promotion. And here's that story from Sagar Magani. General David Petraeus is getting promoted to head of U.S. Central Command, which
0: oversees not just Iraq, but Afghanistan and the entire Middle East. If confirmed by the Senate, he would replace Admiral William Fallon, who stepped down last month. Petraeus' former deputy in Iraq, Lieutenant General Ray Odierno, would replace his old
5: boss there.
6: And certainly he'll still have his finger on the pulse uh, of that and uh, certainly deserves that promotion. Well, let's go to the phones. We've got lots of folks calling in to talk about the presidential race. And uh, let's go first to Kaufman and speak with David. Hi, David.
3: Hey, how you doing tonight? Great. I uh, just want to mention a book I just got done reading by John Federer. It's What Every American Needs to Know About the Koran.
6: Oh, William Federer, frequent guest on this I'm program.
3: Sorry. I'm sorry, but very good book, very good book. Um if you're a Democrat, I recommend you read this book, because this goes back to a long time ago, but Thomas Jefferson stood up, and this has to do with also Keith Ellison being sworn in on the Koran.
6: Right, Congressman.
3: Yes, yes, ma'am. I uh, just want to say that if you believe in the Koran, then you did. we are all infidels by the Koran. Yeah,
6: it's a good uh, book. and We need to know what the Koran says, because our enemy believes in it.
3: I do, and, and basically we've been fighting them since after Muhammad died. Um, I was drafted for Vietnam. Fortunately, I didn't have to go fight there in 1972, but we both lost the Korean War, and we lost the Vietnam War. Nobody won, really.
6: Well.
3: Um, I do not want to lose this war, and I do not believe we should pull out of it. And
6: Amen uh, to that.
3: Obama, Obama, and Hillary, and I'm hoping John McCain doesn't feel that way.
6: All right, David, thank you so much for your call. I want to mention that the uh, book by William Federer was the subject of one of our interviews, which we've aired actually a couple of times on this program, and it is in the archives at www.jerryjohnsonlive.com, and then you just click on the archives, and you can scroll down and find that interview. Uh, okay, we're continuing to take your calls on the presidential race. Bob is in Terrell. Bob, what do you think?
3: Uh, yes, Pana. Uh Well, Barack Obama... His plan is to uh, bring everybody home from, Via- from uh, not Vietnam, but from uh, uh, Iraq. Then uh, his plan then is to uh, take all of our arms and uh, take everything away from us. So then uh, as uh, the Mil- as book from Daniel Pipe, "Militant Islam Reaches America, Islamic fundamentalists, they are to memorize everything in the Koran, and then everything after they memorize in the Koran is to do one thing. Seek and destroy everybody in every country that does not convert to Islam. So what are we going to do when we uh, get out of Iraq and then uh, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton take everything we have to fight for?
6: You know, we've got some educated listeners. Thank you, Bob, uh, recommending books. And, of course, all these books go to the idea that we need to understand the enemy. I want to go now to uh, a video that we have aired before this is barack obama speaking to a group and uh... this is not something he says on the campaign trail but this is what he has said uh... to his friends and supporters about his position on uh, really disarming ourselves
4: i'm the only major candidate who opposed this war from the beginning and as president i will end it second i will cut tens of billions of dollars in wasteful spending i will cut investments in unproven missile defense systems I will not weaponize space. I will slow our development of future combat systems. And I will institute an independent Defense Priorities Board to ensure that the quadrennial defense review is not used to justify unnecessary spending. Third, I will set a goal of a world without nuclear weapons. To seek that goal, I will not develop new nuclear weapons. I will seek a global ban on the production of fissile material, and I will negotiate with Russia to take our ICBMs off hair-trigger alert and to achieve deep cuts in our nuclear arsenals.
6: he disarm us. And uh, one of the best things that President Bush has done, one of the great things he's done, is get us out of the Anti-Ballistic Missile Defense Treaty and actually develop our defense systems. We have to have this because so many nations have nukes, and we don't know where, for instance, North Korea is on its development. We don't know where Iran is on its development. We don't know what Pakistan's going to do. To disarm ourselves and to uh, get rid of our capability to defend ourselves against nuclear missiles is a ridiculous stupid thing to do. And uh, Barack Obama says basically that he will do that. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to hear what you think about this. And also, uh, does Hillary have a chance at all? Or is she just prolonging the agony? 800 uh, 881 Let's go to Jesse in Arlington. Hi, Jesse.
1: Hi, Benna. This is uh, Jesse. I uh, just heard that uh, clip that you gave on Obama, and I think that all of our enemies would be uh, cheering if he became president, because that's exactly what they want.
6: I heard uh, Ahmadinejad was hoping that Obama was elected.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. So, uh, and I don't think uh, Hillary has moderated one iota. When uh, Mother Teresa addressed the U.N. during her husband's uh, presidency, Uh, she and him stayed seated while she got a standing ovation when she said, don't abort your babies, give them to me. Hmm. and they just stood there. i mean they sat there while the the whole um audience got to their feet and gave them a standing O. so Oh,
6: I didn't hear about that one.
1: Oh, yeah, this was during the her speech to the UN about 7 years ago or what?
6: Oh, at the I, was it the Beijing speech at the no, Beijing conference. I think comments. it was
1: in New in New York when okay. she came to to New York to to uh Speak to
6: the U.N. All right. We're getting all kinds of great information from our listeners today. Thank you so much, Jesse. Let's go now to Plano and speak with Renee. Hi, Renee. You're on uh, Jerry Johnson Live. Hi. You know, when I heard his
3: comments, my heart just dropped into my stomach. Why don't we just wave a white flag? You know, just, you know, invite him to come in and, you know, enslave us now because that's what's going to happen if he does all this.
6: Well, it kind of feels like this. So let's go now, Larry, to Barack Obama, because this is another comment that we've had in our archives. We'd like to keep these things to show people what he said. And he has never uh, backtracked or refuted this. Uh, but earlier in the campaign, uh, Barack Obama said that he wouldn't – well, he, he was t- talking tough. He said he wouldn't miss an opportunity to take out the terrorists, but he also said something else.
4: It was a terrible mistake to fail to act when we had a chance to take out an al-Qaeda leadership meeting in 2005. If we have actionable intelligence about high-value terrorist targets and President Musharraf will not act, we will.
6: I think it's important now for us to begin to think about what would be the repercussions uh, if Barack Obama were elected and also, secondarily, what would be the repercussions if Hillary Clinton were elected. It's very important that uh, Christians stay involved in presidential races uh, because there is so much at stake, not only the social issues, not only the, uh, the uh, moral social issues, and also the economic issues, but our national security and really, I think, the future of our nation uh, are very survival. And we are taking your calls on this issue. Let's go to Waco and speak with Michael. Hi, Michael. Hello. Go um, ahead. Would
8: you are you there?
6: Yes, go ahead.
8: I would just like to see, you know, like to see us get back to the way we were in World War II, to where America is not afraid of anybody, and we go to war, we go to war to, I mean, all is, um, to, to destroy the enemy.
6: Well, you know, we really shouldn't be as afraid as we are right now, because we do have the, the capability to take these people out. We just don't do it.
8: Well, the Democrats, if, they're, if they get in office, then they're going to weaken the defense and everything, and we're going to be in a whole world of trouble, but God's in control anyway.
6: Well, that's true, and we've got to continue to pray for our leaders, for their wisdom, and for our nation. Let's go now to Bobby and Ringo. Bobby, thanks for calling in. Bobby, Bobby. yes, go ahead.
2: Yes, I'm Bobby in Greenville. I'm, I'm interested in asking the question, which is first, the Christian or political identity? democrat or republican
6: uh... i guess everybody could answer that for themselves uh, what is it for you
2: i'm christian it's, it's, it's for me first and and based upon what i have been hearing uh... based upon what has been said i'm, I'm interested in knowing with all that we had as far as republican and democrat and it's come time for election each individual have, have stated what they would uh, be willing to perform on the behalf of the citizens of this country, but once they have gotten to office, we have something entirely different. Isn't it time for Americans to begin to evaluate things not only from, I mean, from a Christian perspective, but also based upon what individuals have, uh, based on how they performed.
6: Well, that's what we try to help people do on this program, to look at all the issues from a Christian worldview. If there isn't a Christian worldview uh, on the issue, then we just try to make the best common sense we had. But uh, thanks, Bobby. We appreciate uh, your weighing in on this and all of you. Next up, uh, we're going to talk about families. The divorce rate is down from its peak in the early 80s, but it is still way too high. More people are having babies without ever bothering to get married. The question is, what does this cost society in terms of dollars and cents? Well, a lot. Next up, Jonathan Sines of the Free Market Foundation will join us to discuss what can be done about this huge problem. Stay with us for more of Jerry Johnson Live.
0: You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now, here's Penna Dexter.
4: Six weeks later, we closed the gap. We rallied people of every age and race and background to the cause.
6: That's Barack Obama referring to the fact that he uh, was 20 points behind Hillary Clinton. A while back, and uh, so he's sort of trying to put a positive face on his loss by 10 or 11 points to Hillary Clinton last night in Pennsylvania. He was talking to a crowd in Indiana. That's the next primary. I think it's May 6. Uh, that's the other big one uh, that Hillary thinks she might be able to win. Uh, but people were telling Obama that he would get blown out by Hillary Clinton. So in a sense, he's trying to say, well, he wasn't totally blown out uh, last night. Barack Obama congratulated Hillary on winning. This hard fought campaign and thank the Pennsylvanians who voted for them. She ran a,
4: a terrific race. And I want to thank the hundreds of thousands of Pennsylvanians who stood with our campaign today.
6: Uh, he's thanking Pennsylvanians. So, for Hillary's part, and I guess the question right now is uh, does she even have a chance? She told her supporters they could count on her to represent them when she becomes president.
8: The pundits question whether. Pennsylvanians would trust me with this charge, and tonight you showed you do. You know you can count on me to stand up strong for you every single
1: day in the White House.
6: Well, Fred Barnes of the Weekly Standard says that what she gained by winning the Pennsylvania primary was a better argument, a much better argument. Uh, She certainly doesn't uh, get enough delegates and probably won't. Unless you can use that argument to convince the super uh, delegates to go with her. Well, uh, very interesting statistics out uh, lately. Texas taxpayers are doling out nearly $3 billion each year to cover the costs of family fragmentation. Also, Americans are paying $112 billion, that's billion with a B, nationwide for the same thing. Uh, investigator Ben Scafidi, PhD, who is an economics professor at Georgia College and State University, said that 842,000 children are living in poverty in unmarried households. In Texas, the majority, uh, 756,000, live with an unmarried mother. And uh, there's a lot of uh, personal cost to uh, this type of thing. Also, uh, just dollars and cents cost. And with us to discuss this is uh, Jonathan Sines with the Free Market Foundation. Jonathan, thanks for joining us.
8: Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Uh,
6: This is uh, really not surprising news, uh, but it's disturbing news to see how much money we are actually paying uh, for family fragmentation, divorce, cohabiting parents, or just single moms raising kids. It's disturbing, isn't
8: it? Well, and this is yet another wake-up call on this type of issue, because I think that for a number of years, people have seen and understood that there's an emotional and a a personal uh, cost to the breakdown of family. But now we're starting to see that it hurts us economically, and we're seeing a personal choice that people are making uh, to not keep the family together is not only affecting them, it's affecting uh, the entire state, and it's affecting the economy of the entire nation.
6: Jonathan, uh, you know, we've been uh, talking about the presidential race and, uh, of course, uh, Barack Obama, black candidate running. I want you to listen to a soundbite. This is his wife, Michelle, and uh, let's go to it. One of the things, the important aspects of this race is role modeling what good families should look like. And my view is that if you can't run your own house, you certainly can't run the White House. Can't do it. Okay, the Obamas sound like they're good parents, uh, but, uh, Jonathan, the reality is that uh, we've got about 30% of births in this country from out-of-wedlock mothers, about 70% in the black community. And so she really uh, has got a problem in her own community, doesn't she?
8: Well, and and really who's suffering is the children, and that is what this um, report points out. And it's really tragic, you know you think about in Texas alone, eight hundred and forty two thousand children are going to go to bed tonight living in poverty, and you know that just breaks my heart. and you think about um, you know when you multiply that close to you know times uh, forty nine and look at the other the other states across the country, that's um, really something that should get everyone's attention is that uh, not allowing the family to succeed. Um, and not having policy in place that encourages keeping families together and having divorce so easily able to obtain is uh, is another contributing the factor to this, and it's the children that are suffering.
6: All right. This report that talked about the national cost also recommended uh, that the government do more to strengthen uh, marriage. So what about that?
8: Well, we have been involved in that quite a bit in our own state. Um, this past legislative session, we were working on policy uh, to encourage and to have skills based training for married couples, uh, couples that are considered getting married using money that's already a part of a federal block uh, block grant that's going to be used somewhere else to be used um, to strengthen marriages, to give people this type of training and information and really to allow some time for people to uh, look closely at this decision and that small amount of money which over two years will be fifteen million dollars uh, will make a tremendous impact on the amount of marriages that stay together. And in the long run, that's going to be cost effective for taxpayers.
6: What are these marriage strengthening uh, activities? What do they uh, compose? What are they composed of?
8: What they are are training sessions um, that people can do before they get married or once they are married. And they deal with how to communicate with your partner. Um, you know, your are your spouse, uh, your husband, your wife, how to communicate on different issues, um, how to talk with your children. I mean, just some really fundamental basic type things and some things that people just have never considered or thought about when they entered into a marriage relationship.
6: Sometimes people just need to learn some skills uh, in order to keep their marriages together, don't they?
8: Absolutely. I mean, you know, you think about Some of the things that we do in our lives that we get training for that you know just to get a driver's license in texas you've got to have a significant amount of training and a test and you've got to you know drive the car around the block or whatever and so we're looking at something so simple and so important as marriage and to, to think that we don't have those things uh in place and you what you do is you apply for a marriage license you pay the fee and then you're you're allowed to get married and one of the things that we did uh this past session was uh, we put in place an incentive. If people decide to take premarital education courses, the marriage license fee, which is now $60, is waived. And so you essentially can get the marriage license for free if you've taken some type of premarital education
6: course. Okay. Was this a law passed? That's correct. Okay. And so there's other legislation that's going to be uh, put forward in the 2009 legislative session. Am I correct?
8: That's right. We are working on um, increasing this type of uh, these type of programs, this type of funding um, for marriage strengthening activities. And in addition to that, we're going to be looking about how are, are we making it too easy for uh, for people to get a divorce, and are there things that we can do to encourage them to take marriage education classes instead of rushing off to get a divorce. Um, you know, within 60 days, which is what the law allows now.
6: Jonathan Science is with me. Uh, he is with uh, the Free Market Foundation. And, Jonathan, you know, people aren't concerned and looking at the presidential race right now. But really, when you think about uh, what affects your life and your pocketbook, the most it's what's happened, what happens in your own community in your own state. So uh, we like to encourage people on this program to get involved in what happens in the Texas Legislature. So if people are concerned about how much we're spending in Texas for family breakdown and want to be part of the solution, what can they do right now in anticipation of the session?
8: Well, one of the things they can first do is, is look at the information that we've got on these issues on our website. We cover some of the things that w- that were dealt with in this past legislative session. We've, we've also got a great link to this report that came out. But I tell you what they could do right now is talk to their local representative and their the people that their elected officials in their community, because what's going on right now is preparation for the session. The legislators want to know, what do my constituents think are important as I get ready to prepare to go to Austin, Uh, in January what are the people telling me they want to see what kind of change do they want and how can I fulfill my obligation to them so by contacting your representative if you go onto our website at freemarket.org you can find out who your legislator is we've got a a link to tell you who represents you Um, that is extremely important because right now they're at their district office they're in your home or your community they're not in Austin so you
6: could even go see them
8: Absolutely. You can pay a visit to them. Um, There's so much time available now to where they're not under the same time pressure as they are during the session. And so they're a lot more accessible. And frankly, they want to hear from people that they represent. And so this is the time to do that.
6: Jonathan Sines knows what he's talking about because he uh, spends a lot of time during the legislative session in Austin talking to legislators. And, Jonathan, I thank you so much for joining us to alert us uh, to this solution to a really tough problem and also for the work that you do for the Free Market Foundation.
8: Well, Penna, we thank you once again for having us on. Uh, Your show is a blessing. Your ministry is a blessing. And we just hope we can continue to be of service.
6: Okay, Jonathan Sines, thank you very much for being with us. And, again, you can go to the website, freemarket.org. Not only can you read uh, good information, and they have an update that you can sign up for also. Uh, It's very easy to do. But also you can find out who your representatives are and how you can get in touch with them. And uh, so that would be uh, something that I would highly recommend that you do, especially in light of some of these issues that – become very expensive. Well, ladies and gentlemen, tomorrow morning, uh, I want to uh, let you know about a program note. It's on The Morning Show on KCBI. Of course, uh, uh, Terry, I'm sorry, John McLean and Sharon Geiger will be hosting. It's a special broadcast, and uh, they will be addressing uh, someone who's very powerful and influential in the society, Oprah Oprah Winfrey. And uh, Dr. Johnson will also be joining them. Oprah's got sort of a new... uh, Project going on. She's got what's called a webinar. It's sort of a web seminar with this Eckhart Toll, who's a New Age guru and teacher, another one that she's elevating. Uh, she uh, put his book on her bestseller list, on her Oprah book club list, and that shot up to the top of the bestseller list. She is so powerful, so influential and so dangerous uh, dr johnson will be part of the show at seven thirty a.m this morning but i think the whole program will actually be dedicated to oprah in some way shape or form so uh, join us on kcbi tomorrow to, uh next segment we're going to continue to talk about this issue of divorce and uh we'll take your calls 800 does divorce hurt the culture
0: College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1 800 899 0012 or on the web go to chriswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter.
6: One of the things, the important aspects of this race is role modeling what good families should look like. And my view is that if you can't run your own house, you certainly can't run the White House. Can't do it. Michelle Obama talking about her own family. Uh, It sounds like uh, they're pretty intact, pretty well together. Not true of all other families. And, uh, you know, divorce is part of that. Uh, Part of it is that people just don't bother to get married. Uh, Babies born out of wedlock, and of course the government then has to step in, as we were just talking about in an earlier segment, costing the taxpayers a lot of money. Uh, This recent study uh, from Georgia State University revealing that divorce and out-of-wedlock childbearing costs the American taxpayer $112 billion, that's billion with a B, a year. And of course uh, this was measured by these researchers. Uh, They analyzed the expenses associated with welfare, health care, criminal justice, and education, and then also the lost tax revenue from individuals who are more likely to be poor because you are more likely to be poor, uh, raised in a single-parent home. Uh, Divorced women are more likely to be poor. Also, uh, kids are more likely to be imprisoned for a part of their wage-earning lives if they're a product of divorce or if uh, they're uh, from a family who's not had biological parents in the family. So the major takeaway from this study, of course, has been that uh, government should invest more in these programs that advocate and strengthen marriage and uh, I think that is true, but it's also, I think, a project for the church. The church can certainly do more to reverse the divorce culture. And if you have a comment on that, is your church doing anything about divorce? A lot of Christians are, are divorced. The divorce rate in Christianity is almost as high uh, as it is outside of evangelical Christianity. The number is 800 I want to mention tomorrow um, Carl Jeffers, who's a regular on Jerry Johnson Live, and uh, he's a liberal radio talk show host from the West Coast. Is going to co-host for a portion of the show tomorrow. He'll be in studio. And uh, we're also going to have interviews with Michael Yan. He is a correspondent in Iraq on his new book, Moment of Truth. And uh, Guy Sorman on his book, Empire of Lies, The Truth About China in the 21st Century. Are these all tomorrow, Andrew? Because this sounds like a a packed show. Sounds like a great show. Well, uh, speaking of the issue of divorce, I've got a a Newsweek magazine in front of me, and it's uh, dated... I can't even find the date on this magazine. It's so hard to find. April 21st, 2008. And the cover story is Splitsville, the surprising history of divorce into quintessentially American suburb. And uh, it's sort of an interesting story. It chronicles the history of divorce and it spotlights uh, this middle class suburban community out in California in the San Fernando Valley. A generation ago, divorce was somewhat shocking, and it certainly was rare, but uh, as this story says, it's now commonplace. And uh, this Newsweek correspondent, David Jefferson, used a very interesting device to write this story. Uh, He interviewed several of his classmates at Ulysses S. Grant High School in L.A.'s San Fernando Valley to see how the class of 82 had been affected by divorce, And, of course, he points out in the article that the divorce rate in 82 was more than double that of the 1950s. Now, it got a major boost from the feminist movement. And then in 1969, when then-California Governor Ronald Reagan signed uh, the nation's very first no-fault divorce law, which allows one partner to end a marriage simply by citing irreconcilable differences, Uh, That was a big boost for divorce across the nation. Now, 1981 was the peak year for the divorce rate. It is lower today. But as we said in the last segment, marriage is also down. So every year... Though divorce is still a huge problem, more than a million children watch their parents split every year, and that is triple the number who did so in the 1950s. Uh, and studies do show that these kids are twice as likely as their peers to get divorced themselves. They're also more likely to postpone marriage or never to marry at all, and uh, they experience more academic, psychological, and behavioral problems. That's why it's important for us to get a handle on divorce in the culture. Let's go now. We've asked you to call in. We've got some folks joining us. Anne is in Carrollton. Anne, thanks for calling. Hello. Thank you for calling. Hi. Um, I just wanted to kind of input not just about divorce, but about the whole single parent thing. Yes. Um, I, I, my heart is hurt so deeply as an elementary teacher. When I see that the students in my school now think that the word boyfriend means the person that lives in your house with your mother. Really? Not the person your teenage sister is dating. They call those guys the boyfriend. Yes. And they think this is all normal, and some of them don't even understand the word husband. And we even have teachers in our school who are, you know, just living with their boyfriends and pregnant. Wow. Yeah. And it's something. So what kind of an example is that head. for the kids? I'm sorry? So that, what kind of an example is that for their students? I, I'm sorry, I don't understand. Well, the teachers. Uh, no, it's not a yeah. good example yeah. at all. Yeah. Yeah,
3: I mean, oh, you know, they don't make a big deal out of it. The children don't really probably know.
6: But parents do. You know, that's very interesting, Ann. And, you know, going back to this Newsweek story, uh, when David Jefferson interviewed his classmates, he was at this high school in the Valley. And, of course, these people are all now 44 years old. And during high school, he said uh, most of them were pretty quiet about their parents' divorces and how they were being affected by it uh, because there was a stigma about divorce then, about not having both your parents in the home. So, really, the less said the better then. Uh, and, you know, you couldn't hide it if your parents' last name was different from yours, but most people didn't know the other things, like the fact that you may be traveling somewhere for the summers or the holidays to be with the uh, other parent and things like that. But it's different now uh, that there's really not a stigma around not having both parents in the home. It just is, is so commonplace that it seems to be accepted in a sense. Let's go now to Dallas uh, for another comment from Will. Hi, Will. Thanks for calling.
3: Hey, how you doing today? Great. Well, my views on it being a divorced man.
7: uh, My views on it are really simple. Do you really want to lower the divorce rate, lower the 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 single parent households? Y'all are overthinking it. The answer is really very simple.
6: What's the answer?
7: One. One, You get to take half, at least half of everything a man's got. Two. You take away a woman's right to get paid to have children. What? Especially out of marriage. You get rid of the welfare system completely. If they can't make money
2: by having babies, they won't have babies.
6: Well, that's important. And, you know, I've got to let you go because we're coming up on the end of the program, Will. But, um, you know, we have reformed welfare. And so uh, there is less of an incentive with regard to having children out of wedlock for getting money from the government. Uh, But as was mentioned earlier in the program, it is important to emphasize the necessity of marriage. Of course, it is uh, biblical to think about uh, sexual activity only within marriage. Uh, you know, the Bible talks about fleeing youthful lust, things like that. And uh, I think it's important for us to get back to uh, that type of teaching with our young people so that they know uh, that sex is exclusively in marriage. And then you wouldn't have so many of these problems with out of wedlock births. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. We'll see you tomorrow.
0: You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian Worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.